This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to confrontations between journalists and suspects or alleged bad guys caught on camera. I'm talking CTV. It's sometimes called gooning and can take hours or days of waiting to stand face-to-face with a target. Sometimes it's a politician who's been avoiding accountability on an important issue. Other times it's a public figure or individual accused of wrongdoing, sometimes to the level of controversy, other times to the level of criminal charges. You're facing very serious charges. What do you have to say about it? It takes research to figure out where best to find that person, plus coordination between the videographer filming the encounter and the reporter asking tough questions. Occasionally, videographers will find themselves face-to-face with someone and have to do it by themselves, which is what happened last week when Scott Connerton stumbled on longtime bus driver and former church elder Brian Batke, who'd been charged with sexual misconduct against a minor. No comment. No comment. So, Scotty, you had a... a, a an assignment last week that you just thought that you were going to be going to get a, a clip from the RCMP on a suspected uh, child molester. Uh, so you show up at the RCMP, and uh, how did it all kind of play out? Yeah, well, I was, I was there just to get a, a clip from the RCMP, a statement on some of the details of what's going on, and that was fine. I got all that information, and I would hook the camera up, ready to do a live feed to send that um clip back to the station so they can run it as breaking news of, of some kind at the top of the hour or bottom of the hour and then lo and behold just as I was on the phone with uh, our feed department they uh, this person was walking by and another probably I don't know maybe a print reporter was following this guy and I thought that must be the bus driver <laughs> and he must have just came right out of the courthouse. You know. And this is what a lot of people don't know, is that the Surrey RCMP detachment is right across the street from the um, Surrey courthouse where people make appearances and there are also, uh, there's a, a pretrial center near there, isn't there, where they're, they're held in custody? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's pretrial, there's, you know, and then, you know, I guess if they had arrested him, he would have had to make an appearance and, you know, I guess never really thought about the timing of it, you know, because sometimes when you're told by the RCMP it's already been and done, right? Yeah. So you're not really expecting it. And then all of a sudden this guy comes marching by. And then I, I quickly disconnected the camera from feeding and hung up the phone and said, call you back. And then uh, I thought, oh, I have to go for a run. So we got to, you know, follow this guy a block or two up the hill and across uh, the street and finally catch up to him. And Good, sir. So, hey, Batke, is that you? <laughs> you know, and then he goes, ooh, who wants to know? <laughs> you know? So he wasn't expecting to have any media following him or, or chasing no. after him at all. No, no. And, you know, he probably didn't pay attention to me as he walked by the camera because I was doing something else at the time. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden I caught up to him and, you know, he just said. No comment. No comment. Nothing to say at all, sir? That was about it, and turned away, you know. And then I, somebody emailed me a photo of him afterwards, and I said, yep, that's him. 
<laughs> well, and a lot of people will wonder, like, why are you chasing down this guy? He hasn't been convicted. You know, you still don't know. It's just allegations at this point. But, uh, you know, oftentimes police will provide us with a photo, and that may be an older photo. It may be um, they have their hair or their facial hair somehow different. So it's actually really important that we go and try to get the most current image possible because these allegations are serious against this guy. And we're now able to show our viewers what he looked like as of that date. Exactly. And, you know, and sometimes even you want to give them a chance to say something if they have something to say, right? And obviously he didn't have anything to say, so I didn't really pursue it anymore. I, you know, because you, know, you don't want to harass the person also, right? So there's got to be a borderline somewhere. Well, they have the right to say no. And they're on a, in a public street, so we have the right to ask them, but at the end of the day, they have a right to say no. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and I've lucked out at that exact uh, location as well before. The uh, Ryan LaForge, who is the uh, president of the local Creep Catchers chapter, these are people who uh, try to lure um, alleged predators online. They pose as teenage girls or underage uh, um, children, sometimes boys, sometimes girls, to try to lure people online, and then they meet them somewhere. There's a big expose on Facebook Live kind of thing. And so uh, Ryan LaForge had been um, arrested and charged uh, in connection with uh, one of these creep catcher stings. And I'd gone to talk to the police about it because there was actually a bench warrant for his arrest. Uh, they were trying to find him because I think someone um, had been allegedly assaulted during one of these creep catcher stings. So we went there to talk to the police. They gave us a clip. They gave us the information. And I said, okay, well, when's he making his court appearance? Because I want to see if he's out on bail or whatever. And uh, they said, well, just go check. Here's a file number. So I go to the courthouse and they're like, oh, no, he's already out. I said, what do you mean? The RCMP, there's still a warrant out for his arrest. How can he How can he be in court being processed? Everything's done. She says, I don't know what to tell you, but he's he's been processed and he's gone. So then I run across the street again and I and I, I call up the RCMP um, a press person. And I'm like, you know, this is such and such is what the, the courts have to say. And he said, well, let me look into it. I'll see. Because it could have happened that they, he came through here, turned himself in, went and made his court appearance. And I didn't know. And as I'm trying to sort the stuff out and as we're preparing to send the clip back again, to the station and whatnot. Um, this guy walks past, and there's lots of, um, shall we say, not very savory-looking people in that neighborhood because they've made court appearances for all sorts of petty crimes. And uh, this guy walks past. I didn't really think of it because there had been a bunch of them. And uh, the my camera operator at the time, he was the guy who normally shoots sports for us, so he wouldn't have recognized him instantly. But he turns and he looks at me and he says, Penny, was that Ryan LaForge? And I turn and I have a better look at him and I recognize the ball cap and the clothing and stuff. I'm like, holy crap. I was wearing high-heeled shoes that day, but I took off a run in after him with my iPhone as Gary Rutherford, who was the shooter, went to get his camera from the back of his truck. So he goes, but the truck was in the opposite direction. So I'm chasing after him, clop, 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 with my little heels and my iPhone. And and I asked him, I said, Ryan, you know, these are some serious allegations. What do you have to say? I'm talking CTV. We do have a pretty big audience, you know, if you want to address them. Yeah, you only have an audience because of me. Because he was really angry that John Woodward, our investigative reporter, had done a big thing on Creep Cadres. He didn't want to talk to us. and um, But it was such luck. And let me tell you, he did not like that when the iPhone was turned on him for a change, because he's used to being the one doing the recording, but he sure didn't like it when I ran after him and was videotaping him walking down the street. But again, it was just luck, just that, you know, 
proximity between the RCMP detachment and the courthouse and him happening to walk by, we just totally lucked out because we were there getting a clip. None of the competition was there. It was literally just us, and we had uh, footage that, that nobody else had that night. Oh, yeah. Same thing almost just happened to me just a week or so ago before this, too. Uh, out in Abbotsford for the vice principal of the school uh, that got arrested. And I go rushing out there as breaking news uh, with Maria Weisgarber. And we end up stopping and talking to uh, Judy Bird at the Abbotsford Police Department. And, you know, we had this plan. Okay, we're going to go to the school. We're going to go to where he lives to see if it's you know investigations are happening and we had this plan and then all of a sudden we talked to the police department and she tells us oh he's uh, in custody with us and he's going to appear shortly in the courthouse across the street oh, plans changed now we are camping out waiting for him because he's going to be obviously released you know um, some of the uh, sheriffs were very helpful to let us know when he's coming out and sure enough, he came out right out the back door and, uh, you know, he ended up getting a shot of him. He didn't cover his face or anything. So, How do you handle from the technical side? I mean, in the case of Batkey, you were literally chasing him down the street. Uh, you know, the, the lighting changes, you know, you're trying to keep steady. How do you handle it from a technical perspective when it is, it's, it's often a physical thing where you're trying to run after or chase after this person while getting the video, while getting the sound? How do you do that? Well, you know, it's it's like, yeah, you're walking from sun to shade and stuff like that. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I, he, I, you know, I was exposed for the sun at the time, and then he walked into the shade. The camera was dark. I took a quick glance in my viewfinder, and then it's like, okay, I better iris up here. So finally, <laughs> finally, you know, we got him exposed properly, and uh, then we got his picture. So. So you're trying to do that just as you're trying to not trip on the sidewalk and not bump into people. You're irising up. You're checking your white balance. You're doing all the and making sure the record button sits. <laughs> <laughs> There's been once or twice that where the double button or the yeah. record does not happen. I, I not not with you. I don't think ever. But I, that I have been well, on the I, other I, side I've of that. Buttoned off a couple times. <laughs> We've all done it. It just happens, right? Sometimes you double trigger, and it's like you know you always take that second look to make sure the red light in your viewfinder is on. <laughs> It's the little details, right? Exactly. Gary Byrne joins me now. And Gary, you had a really memorable goon uh, a few months ago with Sheila Scott. I did. It was in February, and it was the um, uh, Coquitlam piano teacher had been um, accused and charged with a bunch of um, sexual assaults or some sort of thing with students. And so he was appearing in court. This is, of course, all alleged still because it's still going on. And so, you know, you go to Poco Court, and the reporter will go in, and you wait outside, and you see where it's going to go. Is he going to get bail? Is he going to be having to stay longer than that? Well, apparently he was going to get bail, so we knew he was going to come out. So eventually we got word, this is the door people who get bail out of Poco Court come out. And it's this door on the one side of the building, and you come out the door, and if you go right, you end up in an industrial area. And if you go left, it brings you back around to the front of the courthouse. And you can't go straight because there's a big chain link fence there and there's a lumber yard. So if you stand at one spot, they got to come right past you. So it's at that point, it's just basically the waiting game. And unfortunately for that day, it was actually snowing and really cold in Feb- February, as Sheila would attest to. And of course, both of us were not really wearing the proper clothing. So there was a lot of freezing. And I think we ended up waiting three to four hours before he was released. 
Um, and you had a photo of him, so you knew exactly who to look for. We knew exactly what he was going to look like. And so it was just a matter of it's it's waiting. And so you're just waiting and trying to keep warm and you're talking and you're joking. There's other there's a few other media crews there, so you're just keeping conversations. The problem is with these kind of things, a door just opens. You don't really get any heads up. So every time the door opens and somebody comes out, it could be the sheriff's going for lunch. It could just be court officials going for lunch. you got to get the camera up on your shoulder. And you go, oh, no, it's not him. Okay, so you stand down. So, you know, you have these, like, you're kind of ready, and then you're kind of not ready, and then all of a sudden the door opens, and blah, it's not him, and then you got to go back to waiting and stuff, right? So it's a lot of waiting. This game is a lot of waiting. And then from the reporter side, Sheila, I thought, did a really great job, but you never know, is this person going to be outright hostile? Are they going to just avoid talking to you? Are they going to attack your camera? Because you have had uh, instances in the past where people have actually gotten quite physical as well. Yeah, I mean, I've never really had to experience it, but yeah, a lot of our photogs have. Like, you don't know when they come out that door how they're going to react. Some will charge you and some will bolt and some will just walk away casually right uh, so you just never know what you're going to get so that's another thing he was an older guy so i wasn't we weren't too worried but then you don't know our uh, family members all of a sudden going to show up and they are they going to cause a problem and all that because usually when these things happen if they happen at vancouver of course and that it's maybe a 20 foot out the door into a car it's usually right into a waiting car richmond same thing it's just like they're out you might have like 10 seconds to get a shot at somebody before they duck into a car but at least then you usually have an indication a car's pulling up. Why is there a car pulling up? He, a person must be coming out. But here, it's like you're just you're in the middle of nowhere on the side of this building, and you're just you're just waiting and waiting. And then Sheila was trying to get him to address the allegations. Yeah, I mean, eventually, finally, all of a sudden, he came out, and it's one of these things. It's always comical. He comes out, but he stops right away, and we're looking at each other, going, "That's him, right? Yeah, okay, that's him." But he, has, he stops. Now, he's looking. He has no idea where to go. He's supposed to go and check in with um, a probation officer right away. It's the first thing you do and, and you know, because they give you court-imposed restrictions and stuff. He has no idea where that is. So now he's, he's confused. So we go up, and Sheila starts asking him questions, and he's still confused. He doesn't know where to go, so he bolts right. So he's heading for the industrial area. We get a couple of shots of him walking away, and we're like, okay, now what? And then we I said, well, let's just wait. And we can see him walking and walking, and then he's like, well, this isn't the way to anything. So he's like, well, he's got to come back this way. Oh, no, so he came back. So he's like, yeah, I think he realized, that, well, if I go this way, I end up at the rail yards, and that's not where I'm supposed to be. So instead of thinking, maybe I should just go around the entire length of the other building to avoid the camera crews, he comes right back, and he's coming. And the thing is, it's a very narrow path to the front of the building. So I'm going to have to walk backwards. Fortunately, um, our, one of our live truck guys, Gary Tapp was there. So what he did is he grabbed the back of my jacket and he says, I'll walk, I'll look behind you. So I don't have to worry about that. I'm just going to walk backwards. He's going to make sure, you know, you know, a little old lady with a shopping cart doesn't all of a sudden appear out of nowhere or, or there's a thing. I'm just walking backwards. And so Sheila has her microphone, and she gets right up beside him. And so they're the only two on that narrow path, and I'm just right in front of him walking backwards, and she's just firing questions, trying to get him to say something, just asking questions, asking questions. What do you have to say about the charges of sexual assault against you? I think that they, that they, did, they didn't prove. And it was a long walk. It was probably a good 100, 150 yards to the, get around to the front. So we had lots of time and just walk back, walk back, walk back. And Do you have any message for the parents that had their kids in your trust, sir? 
he didn't really say anything. He didn't. I don't think he said anything at all. But we had lots of video of him now, and and you know she was just trying to get him to ask questions and ask questions. We basically followed him all the way to the door of court services where he went inside, and it was like a good two minute walk. Well, I always find the response to be interesting. I, I had a case years ago. It was um, Brian Whitlock, and people may remember him. Uh, there was a, a dog named Captain that was found uh, beaten uh, and thrown in a dumpster in Kitsilano. And the dog uh, was alive at the time and ended up not surviving. He ended up uh, killing his mother. But at the time, he had just made a court appearance for um, for beating and abandoning this dog and he was charged and so he came out and I was with uh, Randy Raimondo uh, senior cameraman and so we were chasing this guy trying to get him to respond to these allegations and we chased him for we were following him for a couple of blocks and I was just you know do you have anything to say do you have anything to say and to my surprise after a couple blocks he actually stopped turned around and he said no comment I had nothing to say something like that and then he walked away and we let him because he wasn't going to say anything. Like, how long do you chase somebody for? Like, it gets a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you chase them for as long as you think it's it's necessary that you have enough video of the person. so that Because that might be the only video you ever get of this person again, and at least you have it, and you might have to run it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, it's, you don't know. And some people... It's just like kind of luck of the draw, and you know, like, and you don't know. And obviously, he didn't react badly. He didn't go after Randy or anything like that. But I mean, sometimes you know, I mean, you get people coming out of court, and they, you know, will be relatives with umbrellas, and they'll pop the umbrellas and try to shield, or they'll, you know, they'll wear hoodies and they'll pull it right over, and they'll kind of walk and have, you know, other family members or friends try to deflect and stuff like that. It's all sorts of different kind of chases that you, you end up going with, right? Well, and sometimes well-resourced people will, um, if they have a lawyer or somebody to distract us, they'll go um, at one entrance of a building, for example, and then uh, say, I have nothing to say for my client or something to distract us. Then they go out another um, entrance of the building, so it actually makes it really difficult to try to access someone when they've got someone distracting us. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, most of the courthouses are okay because there's only one in, one out, like a Surrey courthouse, the way they set it up now. They've got to come out that way, and they got to go in the front door. And just recently we had... Uh, RCMP officer who was um, in a creep catcher's uh, sting, and so he was going to plead, and he has to go through the front. And then the way they set up security now, there's you know they have to wait, and there was a lineup of people trying to get through security, and so he was at the win- he was in this window for a good three or four minutes, so we could just shoot all day basically. And then if you go down to Vancouver Court here, there's um, uh, the Supreme Court and stuff. There's like six different ways out. There's the uh, there's the uh, parkade and stuff. So. It, to try to get somebody coming and going that doesn't want to be caught coming and going is pretty hard. Videographer Shelley Moore joins me now. You ended up with a confrontation with someone accused of wrongdoing while working with one of our reporters at the time, Rob Brown. And it sounds like this case was actually equal parts skill and luck. It was a an odd one. Um, I was not aware at the time that Rob was, was planning this um, particular goon. But he was a really good reporter and a friend, and I thought, ah, I'll just go along for the ride and we'll see what's happening. So sketch out the details, because this was a case where it was an ICBC employee uh, with alleged wrongdoing at the time, and you guys were trying to track him down. Yes, we were. Um, Rob was filing a story on an ICBC employee who had accessed personal information of some neighbors in his apartment building in New Westminster, um, in their condo building. He was the president of the Strata, 
And there was some sort of strata dispute about um, the color of a carpet that had been ordered. So something pretty banal. But it turned out that he accessed uh, personal information of several of his neighbors in the building. To what end? I don't know. But um, the man, uh, it was a couple that we spoke to in their apartment, beautiful apartment, and they were very, very upset, in particular the wife. Um, she actually got tears in her eyes. You could hear in her voice how upsetting it was that her privacy had been um, invaded in that way. And because of an FOI or a Freedom of Information Act that um, it requests, rather, that they had done, they found out about this. And so in their building, the president of their strata had accessed some very, very sensitive and personal information that only ICBC would have. And so then Rob went to confront this strata president about this alleged wrongdoing. Yes. And normally we track people down at work. But because we were already in the building, had done the interview with the husband and wife, Rob thought, well, let's just hedge our bets here and we'll see if we can catch up with uh, with the ICBC employee, the Strata president, outside his apartment. So we went down a few floors and we waited outside his apartment for about 45 minutes. It really was just luck. And we stood there, I with the camera on my shoulder, Rob with the microphone ready to go, and we listened as the elevator went up and down and up and down and finally it stopped on the floor we were at and the gentleman came around the corner and Rob started asking questions while I was rolling I've been on a lot of, um, I mean, I, I don't know that we'd call it a stakeout, but where you try to uh, find somebody accused of some varying degrees of terrible things, you can spend days waiting for someone and not have the opportunity to talk to them. So first of all, it was lucky that you got him in, in 45 minutes, but what are those 45 minutes like? I mean, that's not a light camera that you're standing with on your shoulder kind of waiting to hear from this guy. Like, what was it like waiting for that experience to happen? Well, I probably didn't have a lot of faith that this was going to happen, but we had the time and Rob decided that that was a, a good way to go and we were already in and and uh, why not wait for him at his home? Yeah, I was basically just taking my cues from Rob and it was, I think I was happy to do it because we had just interviewed um, the couple whose privacy had been breached and as I said, her, they were both very upset, she in particular. You could see it in her eyes and, in her, and hear it in her, her voice. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe somebody needs to answer some questions. So I didn't have a problem with it. And, uh, yeah, the camera was heavy, but it's all right. And these are the cases where I think we've talked about it on previous newscasts, but it's the power of, of television to be able to see how this person responds to those accusations and, and what their demeanor is uh, in the face of something that is really serious, that is upsetting to not just those people, but really anybody who's watching, thinking that somebody who has access to their information can use it for you know, really awful, vindictive, personal uh, reasons. So I, I think this is one of those things where, yeah, it's not nice having a camera in your face, but, you know, if you're accused of wrongdoing, um, it really does convey a lot to the viewer when, when we see what that person's reaction is. Yes, and his reaction was, as you might imagine, a TV crew waiting outside his apartment door 
um, as he came home, presumably from work, and uh, the light and the microphone and the tough questions. And um, he was not happy. He asked if the camera was on. And, you know, it's like, well, what do you think? And then he became quite agitated as Rob was asking him questions about why he would do what he had done. He uh, turned as he was going into his apartment and he reached out and he lunged at me and my camera lens and he wound up ripping off the lens hood which is not a small piece it's plastic he didn't harm the camera but he ripped it off and then he darted into his apartment and closed the door I said wait a minute no no so I I I said that's expensive I can't go back to the station without that piece of equipment so I knocked on the door and he immediately opened it and thrust it back at me and then closed the door again and uh, I mean it was almost comical at the time but he did not like being asked these questions. He did not like being on camera. And um, from what I understand, I, I think that he kept his job. He, uh, he may have had a suspension, but um, that was pretty much the worst thing that happened to him uh, after, um, after accessing private information of, uh, of people he had a problem with. Didn't go to jail, didn't lose his job, but he... But being confronted by Rob Brown would be a very uncomfortable experience. I can only imagine. <laughs> Rob's a good guy. We uh, Rob left the uh, station several years ago for uh, another city, and uh, we've always re- appreciated his reporting, which was always uh, really hard-nosed and uh, never afraid to go confront people uh, who were accused of, of doing terrible things. So we've uh, we've always appreciated his work. Yes, indeed. And and honestly, I have, uh, not necessarily with Rob, but you've probably had this experience where we have confronted people and they've said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or, oh no, that's not how it is. And they actually talk to us and we learn a whole nother side, which is really our job. But if somebody is that angry um, at being held accountable... I don't know. It speaks volumes. Thank you, Scott, Gary, and Shelley for your time. My pleasure. No problem. No problem. I'd also like to thank Sabrina Gans for her help with archival audio this week, and thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphos. 